of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 331. Jason Lingren is with me and Dr. Bear Lando is back. Uh, we're going to get into some ideas uh, around the spine. It's a thing I think a lot of people don't think about unless you read occult things or unless you have a medical issue that pulls you to think about the spine. But there's a lot to know there. And as a matter of fact, I would estimate that 90% of the really old mystic or occulted material that I read is going to directly relate simply because that is the encoded mechanism for how you get to higher consciousness, almost like the highway um, between the lower and the upper. Uh, but anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a beautiful June morning it is. Wish I could say it. we're getting pummeled and I know uh, Bear is getting some weather out there. But anyhow, welcome, Bear. Hey, uh, thanks. Honored to be on with you guys. Always a joy to talk to you. So thanks for having me back. Perfect, man. It's been quite a while since we caught up, but uh, let's just jump right in. I'm a little worried about our connection with rain in two places, but we'll see how this goes. So where do you want to start here, Dr. Lando? Do you want to, do you want to jump in with the occulted ideas uh, that I was expressing in the opening, or would you like to, to kick off somewhere else? No, we can, we can certainly do that. And uh, I do have a background in spinal mechanics through osteopathy and chiropractic, but I became a chiropractic physician kind of through the back door because I went through conventional medicine training and, and experience and then went to naturopathic college and uh, elected to go to chiropractic college after naturopathy only because there weren't licenses available back in the seventies in the States that I wanted to practice. So, uh, but at that point I was in kinesiology circles and a lot of those guys were chiros. So, uh, it was a great training. Uh, but I just offer that as a warning that I'm not what you would consider a conventional chiropractic as well. Although I definitely benefited from the training. Um, you know, the spine itself is uh, considered in more esoteric circles as uh, the access of the universe, of our own personal universe. And it really represents those electrical forces that uh, come from above our head and that we ground in into our experience. And then it becomes a, a two-way uh, moving vortex. And so it really brings in a lot of issues that we could talk about. Of course, it all translates into biomechanics. And I saw my share of back problems in my old practice days. Uh, but then to really appreciate spinal biomechanics, I believe you have to get more into the electromagnetics and what that represents and how those forces uh, that we put in play with our own emotions, our thoughts, our belief systems, and just our collective consciousness at large, how all those things translate or holographically outpicture into our spine and all the issues we associate with our spine. Back in the day, I kept bumping into a number 33 in the vein that we were covering. It took me a while to put it together, and finally I saw it written out right. Um, there's an idea in some of the old occulted things that the number 33 is going to relate or correlate directly to the idea of the spine, and that's going to correlate directly to, how would I say this, the awakened human mind maybe. Do you see where I'm going here? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that old magic number 33 keeps coming back up again. Uh, we have seven cervical vertebrae, you know, in the neck area and our mid back, we have 12 thoracic vertebrae. We have five lumbar vertebrae in our lower back. We have five sacral segments, uh, in our sacrum, which is shaped like a spade. And that has some significance to some people. 
And then our coccyx has four. So if you add them up, uh, the coccyx being the tailbone, of course, if you add them all up, it comes to 33. So that number, of course, is uh, outpicturing just the normal, I believe, the octaves that uh, keep repeating their patterns throughout nature and our spine is, uh, you know, no exception to that. And also, you know, we're talking about octaves. If you look at different areas of the spine, they all relate to different octaves or what we could even uh, uh, think of as musical keynotes. And those uh, resonant fields, of course, are what create the patterns that outpicture to our senses or in our physicality as we think of it and uh, create the exact uh, geometry in the form that we experience in all of life, including our own bodies. So now you're kind of speaking my language and I would point out, it's almost as if the spinal column that's never directly ID'd in most of the things you read, it's almost, I don't want to say a thermometer, but a gauge um, that is used in occulted literature. Like if you were down at the sacrum, you'd be down in the animal-like kingdom, right? You'd be living as a human being more animal-like in your lust, in your voraciousness for food, all those things. But the higher up you go, those 33 vertebrae that you're mentioning, the closer you're getting to be a higher realized or awakened human being. Um, and also, uh, we should maybe touch on so many people have seen the misused caduceus. It's misused for medicine, in my view. I don't know if you agree with me, but those twined snakes have to do with an energy flow in the Western view. Yeah. And um, in more of the esoteric literature, uh, and, and even when you get into waveform mechanics, they talk about two lines of force going up the spine. Uh, one is red, one is blue. Uh, and the, the red being more the positive uh, yang energy, the, the blue being more the, the yin, uh, you know, female polarity. And uh, those go all the way from, you know, our tip of our tailbone up to the top of our head. And uh, there's a lot of great work, of course, that we can each do individually as far as visualizing those. And uh, we can talk more about, you know, a lot of self-help techniques uh, that will actually adjust your spine in the process. I mean, physically adjust your bones once you really get schooled in the energetics of the spine and how to manipulate them with your own mind. And of course, what you're describing is, is exactly true. Uh, you know, when our regulation centers, which some people call the chakras, are predominating energy more in the lower end of things, more in the, the you know, human uh, desire bodies, and especially when we exhibit those in a toxic nature, then it just keeps that energy bound up in certain ways and prevents it from making that journey upward uh, in in, in, in which time it, you know, activates different parts of the, the brain, which will then trigger um, hormonal effects in the brain that uh, will create more synapses and the ability to use greater parts of our brain. And the brain being, of course, more of a receiver transmitter device, not the source of uh, the mental plane, but uh, the part that processes electrical vectors coming from the mental plane, which our own thought, which are our own thought processes. So that's going to play into a thing. I'm going to bring up a thing here, uh, which is very probably unknown to most people. I think the first time I bumped into the idea was maybe 20 some odd years ago, and I didn't know what to make of it recently. I've been reading more 
mystics, more Rosicrucians, more Christian mystics. And I finally found another version of this. Here's the claim. So when you're born, um, the sun is in a certain place. The claim here is that there is a little enlightening seed that is created in your body every 28 and a half days, the moment the moon enters the place exactly where the sun was at the moment of your birth. Now, this thing starts to travel up. The idea here is, of course, going to relate to the Christos, the oil in the place of the skull or Golgotha in the Bible, or what we'll probably just call the optic thalamus. The idea is, is if the seed makes it all the way up there and gets fructified by that special oil, it gets amplified, I don't know what they say, a thousand or 10,000 times, which is playing into exactly what you just said. The brain's not making all this happen. It's almost like the receiver that interacts with what's already there and either amplifies it or interacts with it or misses it all together. Um, are you aware of any of this? And the reason I'm asking, because they do not state flat out that this little claimed seed that's coming every 28 and a half days is traveling the spinal column. But as I reason it through, how else could it be traveling? Have you ever heard any anything about this idea? You know, not that every 28 days part of it, that's new. And that's very interesting to me. And I could speculate how that, you know, kind of makes some sense. I know in my work, uh, we talk about something called the seed atom, which is, uh, you know, we could loosely describe that as the Akashic for our entire memory banks of all of our embodiments, if you believe in multi, uh, multiple embodiments, or, or even if we don't, just who, who we are at the soul level. And that, of course, becomes uh, the very first cellular replica replication embryologically, which is our heart. And then, you know, we unfold from that just like an apple seed will unfold uh, you know, an entire tree in time. It's an energetic Akashic. Uh, Walter Russell described the Akashics in a, in a different, more um, waveform analysis way where he talked about the inert gases being those little memory portals for the different octaves, but we don't need to go there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. At the time of our birth, you know, there it's all about angles and geometry. And of course, the Vatican did a lot of occulting of that science when they morphed the word angel from angle because they understood very much that the angles that were in the larger macro patterns of the universe at the time of our birth have a great uh, influence on us and, uh, you know, really uh, help us, uh, you know, be more inclined to certain attributes and characteristics. But, um, you know, to answer your question more in a way that I would understand as far as how this information is translated, uh, we could maybe first go to a gentleman by the name of Victor Schauberger, who uh, very much understood that water is the vehicle for consciousness. In fact, a lot of his insights that, um, you know, allowed him to uh, innovate many different technologies and, and uh uh, just techniques, you know, to defy gravity as we think of it and so forth. Um, you know, he sat there and merged his consciousness with streams of water because he spent a lot of time uh, as a forestry person out in nature and just let, letting the water take his consciousness. 
And so he was convinced, as I am myself, that water is that vehicle. And if you know how to merge your consciousness with the water, it can take you places and you can get fantastic downloads of information and insights about all sorts of things. Now, if you look at the spine, I really come about uh, spinal mechanics more from a standpoint of cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, you know, a chiropractor would look uh, more at a nerve model, you know, it's more the idea of adjust the spine, you'll be fine, because that takes the pressure off all the nerves and, you know, keeps things flowing and innervated properly and, and including organs and, and has great ramifications for your health and are absolutely right. But even more primal to that is the water of the spine, which is the cerebral spinal fluid. Now, the cerebral spinal fluid has a life of its own. It circulates uh, it, with an undulating, um, you know, movement of the spinal uh, meninges as well as the uh, cranium itself, and the um, about 500 milliliters of cerebral spinal fluid are created a day within the ventricles of the brain. Now, you mentioned the optic thalamus. And uh, like the third uh, ventricles, for instance, which is a, a, a reservoir for the cerebral spinal fluid, they connect those two points uh, with the optic thalamus, you know, the pineal, the pituitary. And uh, I really believe that that water, the cerebral spinal fluid is exactly what creates the ability for us to be a conduit by way of the spinal access uh, of higher consciousness, you know, the source from which we all come. And that is, in fact, what, you know, uh, allows us to embody and have this experience in the first place and then translate those cosmic energies, uh, you know, those source patterns into our very own body is from the cerebral spinal fluid. So I'm so glad that you brought up the angles and the angels. Um, Jason and I will be doing reasonably soon a full breakdown on the movie John Travolta starred in called Michael, where he is supposedly the archangel. Uh, and it is to this day still being obscured. They're still putting beings with wings uh, to ditch the idea that the angles of the sky clock have anything to do with anything. We will be breaking that down, but I can take the initial idea. I started there slightly further. Don't know if it will help. There's also a claim and people have been wanting me to do an episode on alcohol. So I'll just add a little bit in here. The seed that supposedly comes from below the solar plexus, out above, so below, it's going to start its journey upward. The goal being that it would make it up into the place of the skull and amplify and make you a realized being or start the process of you becoming a realized being. If you drink alcohol, it is claimed during the course of this seed that is created supposedly every 28 and a half days, uh, it destroys the casing of the seed and therefore the seed is shot. Uh, also, it is claimed that if you have sex and they relate this directly to the Bible referring to raucous living, they claim that when the Bible says raucous living, they're just talking about sex. That's what the claim is. So if you have sex while the seed is trying to travel up, a similar thing happens. The seed is destroyed, um, and that cycle for that supposed migration from below the solar plexus up to the place of the skull is stopped. Does that ring any bells with you? Absolutely. You know, I've never liked to drink uh, myself, and it just intuitively, alcohol, I think, is the worst drug of them all. So it absolutely shuts down your ability to rise into higher consciousness. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. The sexual thing is, uh, 
more than interesting as well, you know, there's sex and then there's sex. And, you know, we have to differentiate what we're talking about here because our entire universe is sexual in that, you know, we're constant, constantly creating electrical vectors and these electrical vectors, um, you know, literally mate with each other and uh, create this unified communication or informational field, you know, that we have in our individual worlds as well as our collective world. And so, you know, the whole universe does operate on sexual principles. Now, we, of course, have that duplicated within our own bodies. And what we have also been taught by the church, uh, you know, and the medical profession is just to uh, use that as a way to relax ourselves. And in other words, especially with guys, you're taught just to get off, period. Um, you know, I was kind of fortunate in it. I was in martial arts circles uh, after I quit my football career, kind of took the place for all that stuff. And I was uh, doing more full contact fighting and all that sort of thing. And I was uh, told about this person from the old country that had these techniques that they had brought over. And of course, at that point, I was like maybe in my late 20s and I thought I was going to get these great fighting techniques. And I went into his uh, apartment in San Francisco where he was and he's from the old country. And uh, anyway, he sat me down and just started uh, helping me focus in on these points along the spine. And, uh, you know, my first impulse, I wanted to run out of there because it wasn't what I was looking for, but I stuck with it and worked with him for quite a, you know, a few months afterwards. And uh, he really clued me into what we began with, what is known as the microcosmic orbit. And uh, in a you know nutshell, you learn that you can use your mind to guide your spinal energy uh, up and down around the front and the back center line of your body. And from there, once I got proficient, you know, I had a little trouble at first, just kind of focusing in and waking up these points and he was in the depth. So he would just kind of stick his finger in the spot and, you know, kind of jumpstart it. And then I'd say, Oh, okay, there it is. And, you know, pretty soon I got pretty good at just running this energy, uh, up the back of my spine. Uh, down the front of my body, uh, into my extremities, grounding it into the ground, you know, bringing the ground energies back up through the lower extremities, doing the same thing with the upper extremities. And then, uh, you know, it um, eventually led to a practice where you're engaging in what they call the heavenly cycles, where you shoot the energy up instead of going down the uh, center line of your front of your body, you just shoot it up and bring those energies in through your crown and so forth. But the, the point of the whole story here is that we related that to sexual energy as well. So what I was taught is that if you're having sex, the last thing you want to do is release fluids. And what you do at that point is, you know, you learn a little bit of a physical kind of a Kegel technique of uh, clamping down so that doesn't happen. So you retain your fluids. For men and women. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And if you're with a partner, you can actually exchange the energy, you know, take their energy and circulate it through your body and vice versa. So it just allowed me to learn that, wow, this is a very powerful energy. And not only is it something that you want to conserve, but it's actually very pleasurable when you learn how to circulate that through your entire being and have body sensations that aren't just confined to your groin area. And after a while and with practice, not only is it not difficult, but you could never really imagine 
just releasing fluids because once you have that contrast of experience, you realize it just really, uh, you know, leaks a lot of energy at the same time. And, and you, which is why most people have to have a cigarette and roll over and go to sleep, you know? So it's uh, something that I think, especially the males in our society should be taught from pre-adolescence and uh, because it's the most important energy we have. And it's the thing that we waste more. And of course the medical and the uh, you know, that I grew up Catholic, you know, they say, well, as long as you're married, then you can waste as much energy as you want. And they condone that. And it's, uh, you know, I think part of the whole sinister agenda is teaching us how to lose energy. Well, there's so many movies, how you count them, you know, oh, there's this big star and they don't want him to succeed. So what do they do? They hook him up with a date, right? Uh, it's known that prize fighters are not allowed to have sex for so many weeks before they go, but I will take the idea a little further from the exact source that I started with. The claim about the use of sex is as follows. If there is no generation, then it's basically what we would think of as a sin, or you're going to pay the price, or to put that in another way, the French call the orgasm the, the tiny death or the small death. In other words, you just ejaculated and a little of your life force just left you and you ain't getting it back. Okay, that's the idea that's being claimed here. The definition is, is if there's no generation and they define it. If you're masturbating, if you're having sex just for fun, if you're homosexual, I think I'm missing one, but I can't think of it. These are all ways that people could have sex. I know there's another one. I can't think of it. And the claim is, is that if you have sex and you create a new life, then everything I just said is no longer true because you have satisfied the laws of the universe and used the highest power that we have, sex energy, to create a new life form. Then it goes on to say a little bit more, and I'll add it on while I got the platform here. They go on to describe that men are three-dimensional in their view and women are four-dimensional in their view, and this is how they break it down. Anything below the solar plexus is like the animal existence, and anything above the solar plexus starts to lift up into the higher humans. They say that for the man, uh, the head, the solar plexus, and the reproductive organs prove that he is 3D, and they're almost all equidistant in their way of thinking about it. They say, but women, women are four-dimensional, and the reason is because they have breasts, and they claim that there is an actual fourth dimensional connection between the organ that we call breasts and, and so on. But that's, that's the last bit I can add to the thought process I started Bear. No, I, I like that. And again, that's a, a bit of a new concept with the dimensionality and adding in the breasts is that representing that fourth dimension, but it kind of makes intuitive sense. I have to ponder that one a little bit. Um, you know, the thing is too, is, you know, we're talking about spinal issues here uh, or the human spine and all of our issues come from that exact same uh, phenomena that we're talking about if our attention is in the lower centers then the of course energy is going to be pointed downward we're going to be just fulfilling one half of the life cycle you know and in electrical terms it's supposed to be in an equal exchange of compacting information that comes in and then radiating that out to be renewed every single moment. And, uh, you know, it's what some cultures called the yin and the yang and so forth. 
And if we're just compacting information down and not giving it back, but then using it selfishly just to waste, then we're drawing on our own personal bank accounts, which is uh, uh, the reservoir that we get at birth is, you know, resides in the kidneys. And so, um, you know, as we age, you, we notice that people get kind of stooped over and, and that sort of thing. And it's just because of that downward death spiral where everything has been focused mostly in the lower egoic centers, the animal centers, uh, you know, with not enough equal uh, attention to taking that energy and giving it back. I think that's maybe what Jesus meant when he was saying, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, you have the resurrection, the energy ascending, and then the life, of course, is what comes down through the crown that animates us from source to every single moment. So we need, uh, you know, a nice equal exchange of that. And of course, our society, our practices, and our institutions all teach us to just go in that downward death spiral. So the interesting part about this, if you think about everything that was laid down is the claim, and this goes across so many things that I've read in my life, the idea that the solar plexus is called the solar plexus because that's purposefully relating things to the sun. Um, and in the microcosm of the human body, um, that's the midpoint. And so as we've established things below that, like the sacrum or sex for the sake of sex, those are animalistic and they have not risen, uh, almost like in member in the, in the book, Dune, the, the Benny Jesuit, witch comes to test the young boy to find out if he's a human being or an animal. And if he's an animal, he's going to get killed. Um, this is the same, very same idea that's been expressed, but in the generation is the main thing I think where culture has really lost us. How many of us ever think of the idea that the spinal course column split plays any role in sex or what sex is at the very base of it? That's where we've all been led astray. Um, the thing that makes us special, according to these older occulted traditions, is we have the power of God. And that is proven because anytime you put a man and a woman together between them, they have the power to create a new life. And if you logically sit down and consider, is there a higher power than that? Uh, you start to realize what we have so blithely thrown aside uh, by putting bikinis on TV or, you know, music videos that just hypersexualize sex and make it a thing um, that we do. And we just, because we can, um, and that's where it all gets lost in generation is, isn't that really the basis? Uh, because in what I've read, the claim is, you could have sex every day if a pregnancy was the result and you would not lose your life force. That is the claim. Yeah. And also the sexual energy is optimized when we merge it with the heart center and those higher centers of wisdom. So it's not just simp simply an animal release. It's you're bringing in the love principle. And in that process, uh, not only is the sexual energy not being misused, but it's also being transmuted out of the animal into the divine because the heart center, of course, is that first place, uh, you know, where the octaves are, uh, you know, raising and capable of tr transmuting lower energies. And, you know, like, uh, again, defaulting back to martial arts when you're uh, in a combative situation, you always maintain that, 
that center of awareness within your heart center that not only allows you to see things coming before they happen, but also uh, does not allow you to go into those lower emotions of fear and anger that are going to beat you in the first place. You know, it's interesting to think about um, the, the, the initial claim that I was laying on the table there, that this little seed um, that's going to seek to give you the ability to go above the solar plexus, be amplified, it's either a thousand or 10,000 times. In other words, it's like activating your optic thalamus, I guess I would co- correlate it to. Um, but I think if it's all true and there's basis to these claims, which I don't have a reason to suspect they're not because I've read versions of it in a lot of different places, how much we have been sidelined to not understand a damn thing about ourselves. In other words, there's this opportunity to reach higher human levels every 28 days. If you think about it. Yeah. And you know, what was astounding to me just when I was in my early medical studies uh, I find it fascinating that a lot of my colleagues would become atheistic because they'd go more into the materialistic reductionist side of science where, uh, you know, as I was just studying guidance physiology and you learn what the body does every single moment just to keep us alive, it was, you know, my medical studies proved to me the opposite, that there was this higher intelligence and uh, that there is no way around it because there's no way that sort of design could happen by chance. And, uh, you know, then when you get into biblical studies or, um, you know, any of the more metaphysical studies, it's, it's all the, the same thing when you start deciphering or decoding what they're talking about in the first place. They're all manuals on what our human body represented and what we need to do in order to use it as a vehicle to attain higher consciousness. It was very cut and dry. You know, it's interesting that you lay it down like that. This is basically the woe of materialism or scientism, whatever you want to call it. Um, it refuses to recognize what was so widely known, and it's still demonstrate all around us. How many times on this show have I said, why do you walk into a liquor store and it says spirit on the bottle? Why did, Why is that? Well, it's because it's still recalling what used to be commonly known and what I guess we would call alchemy. Uh, I kind of like natural science is a better way to describe that idea. But the basis of that is there's a body, there's a soul, and there's a spirit of everything. And if you work in that way, it's nearly impossible not to consider what is the spirit, what is the soul, what is the creation. But by the time you flip over into the hypermaterialism that is science, uh, all that stuff is gone. Um, there, there is no, there is no spiritual seed left in it. And I think it's exactly why you said because it makes their story fall apart that this all happened by chance. Yeah, and even uh, again, to repeat, more interesting that two students can have the same subject matter experience and come to two different conclusions based on their perspective. And, um, you know, I, I work uh, mostly in farming these days, so I get ample out, uh, outside time and we're surrounded by wilderness here. So to me, it's the ultimate scientific endeavor. You're just simply observing. And isn't that what science is supposed to be, empirical observation? And, uh, and then when you, of course observe, you start to get insights as far as as how things really work. So you uh, model your farming practices, your medical practices, your laboratory practices, 
and really try to identify them or have them mimic those natural processes in the first place. And in my experience, in all three of those endeavors, things just work better when you do that. And then I, you know, turn around and look and see what's happening in institutionalized chemistry, uh, medicine, and agriculture, and things don't work. So it's really not rocket science to connect the dots. Well, the the whole system has done everything. You know, I would I would estimate that as recently as the late eighteen hundreds. Um, how can I frame this? Oh, here's a good idea. So I get these notifications about old books and I'm always astonished at how often a book about demonology, about fairies, about sprites, about forest nymphs, all these things come. And for years I would look at them come and I was always astonished. And then I realized, um, when I began to take apart the Greek gods, that these were aspects of nature. And in the 1800s, these things had not yet been lost to, uh, the moniker of fairy tale or imagination, imaginative things that don't exist. Um, even in the culture, the idea of a fairy was built in. Like we just had a guest on who rightly named her company the Fermenting Fairy um, because that spirit or that living essence was often in days of yore described as a fairy. Or the, what's the other one that we hear? What, what was that? What's the green drink that's against the law that has the green fairy in it? I can't think there's a drink that was commonly used and it was green and it was so potent and it would mess you up and get you so high that it was referred to as, as holding a green fairy. Absinthe. Yeah. Absinthe. There it is. It was absinthe. Oh, okay. So even in the late 1800s, the ideas of personifying in some way, the aspects of nature that truly exist uh, were present. But, you know, as we came over into the modern era, those became fairy tales and childish things and things that did not exist because they couldn't be put on a scale. But I'm just saying, as recently as late 1800s, all that stuff was part of societal thinking. Yeah. And I don't think every culture of the world was wrong in having their own versions of those same stories describing elementals and beings of nature. And shouldn't it make sense to us, those of us that are just starting to figure out that we're actually not our bodies, but our bodies are a representation of our consciousness and who we are on a more fundamental, more elevated level. Uh, you know, if you look at a tree, if you look at anything in nature, uh, it makes perfect sense that there are conscious life forms that are also animating what we see as far as what we consider, uh, you know, vegetation. So, um, in, 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 as, as I know you're aware in a lot of the esoteric literature, they have different names for those beings and, uh, and these beings take different forms. And then of course, as we relate to them, uh, the more we get tuned into that level of consciousness and, uh, I don't know how much our own consciousness creates a spin in order to create different forms that we might see in different levels or not. But the the point is still the same as there are real uh, conscious forms or, or consciousness that gives those uh, things we experience in nature form. Well, it's, it's undeniable, but it's easy to get lost in the shuffle of living like a modern life has lived. Um, to this day, everything has changed for me. When I go out in the garden, I am paying such, I mean, I'm counting petals. I'm paying attention to color. I smell everything. Um, that's another dimensional claim. 
from the old esoteric teachers that that smell is an ethereal from above scent that has been allowed into our area. And when you begin to look at such complexity as even just a a forest and you truly consider it, um, you begin to realize that damn near nothing you've been told is true. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, and this is kind of a shot in the dark, but sometime, I think it was the 1800s, there was this what I assume was false news, a story of these little girls that went out in their garden with a camera and they took pictures of fairies, these little fairies floating around and it went all over the world. It was a big deal. And now as I look back at it, it looks as one of the initiatory efforts to poo-poo the possibility for the human mind to grasp that the idea of a fairy is sound. There is a consciousness, there is a life force within these things. It's it's a bit like saying Zeus, you know, most people have been led to believe, well, it's some dude with a beard on a mountain. Well, no, it's not. It's an aspect of what we all experience in this world. So you could equate it with an aspect of nature. Um, but I'm with you all day long. The, the sheer complexity of simply walking into a garden or anything else, um, you're, that's not chance what's going on there. And there's no way that you convince me that it is chance. It's it's a living, organic system, and uh, I, I don't know how else to put it. It's not possible in my mind that any of this is chance. And it's uh, an interactive system. The more you observe, the more you realize that you are an active participant. And we live in a marvelous time now as well, where there are sciences that are resurrecting old understandings into new elevated forms and technologies. Uh, Biogeometry is one of those, uh, you know, which I favor greatly because it's really perfected a lot of the techniques I learned early on in my career in fields of radiesthesia. And so when I'm, uh, for instance, we're expanding a lot of our planting here on the farm and, uh, we create planting beds. So you're very aware of uh, numbers of things. You know, if I'm building a rock wall around, uh, you know, to create a planting bed, I'm very aware of uh, the geometry, the shape that I, you know, put around things because that's going to create a resonance. It's also going to matter a great deal on the number of maybe rocks that I create for a border because they all have special significance and create a resonance. And in fact, in in areas of biogeometry, they've done experimentation where with hundreds of plants, they'll, for instance, take potato plants and, uh, and they'll have a control group where they uh, don't do any biogeometry intervention in another group where they just put certain angles around those plants. And then both groups, they uh, water with salt water and the uh, ones without the biogeometry intervention uh, die pretty much immediately. And the ones with the biogeometry uh, forms around them not only thrive, but grow a lot better, faster, and more robust than, uh, you know, if you're just giving them all the best stuff, including fresh water and not salt water. At which point you've become a part of that system, right? Just by simply interacting with it mentally. But let's pivot for a minute, Bear. What's your take on what's gone on with the inoculation? Does it seem to you, yeah, I know I had to make the pun. Does it seem to you that it's been successful or does it seem like an act of desperation? Does it feel like the majority of people have just been 
diluted or does it feel like many, many, many people are saying, hell no? What's it feel like to you? I think it's a little bit of all the above. It's something that a long time ago in the circles that I traveled, uh, we knew at least 30 years ago that this would be their end game. Uh, Even the Bible talks about these times as the times of the great plagues, I believe. And uh, of course, uh, way back in my Catholicism, reading that stuff as a child, I didn't imagine that the plagues would be man-made. So yeah, this is something that's been in the books for a long time, something that they had always intended, but it's always also an obvious act of desperation because even though they're fulfilling their you know, vision of, of calling the herds and uh, becoming, you know, what they consider the gods of this earth. Um, <clears throat> they're very desperate in their method of implementation. And in the process, they've uh, suffered so much exposure. But of course, all they can do at this point is quadruple down and just make inane uh, excuses as far as, you know, why you have to get them. And, and uh, you know, and even when you study their own verbiage, they, you know, don't even use the old terminology for these kinds of uh, medical procedures. They call them something different that's more akin to changing our genetics. So they're pretty much telling us exactly what they're doing. Now, as far as the general population, I kind of believe that this is is the time of the great calling, maybe not in the way the globalists, uh, you know, dream of. But I think on a spiritual level, we're all here to make a choice. Do we choose life or death? Right. And do we choose to align with the creator or not? So a lot of folks are very clearly making the decision to take themselves out. And that goes back to our spinal conversation They're just uh, taking the energy into that downward death spiral exclusively by choosing consciously or unconsciously to change their genetics so that our very genetics that separate us from animal genetics and allow those little antennas that DNA are to uh, attune to greater bandwidths and more higher creative impulses. Uh, instead, you know, they're they're changing it into this kind of herd mentality. So, yeah, we have a lot of things, a lot of balls being juggled right now. A lot of people making decisions on different levels. Um, I don't believe in the second for a second that these globalists, whatever we want to call them, are going to succeed. They will succeed in killing a lot of people. That's already happening. Uh, on the other hand, um, they aren't going to succeed ultimately in you know what they hope to achieve. And um, so yeah, it's it's an amazing time here. And you know, in our own little way, just like you guys, we try to spread truth for people that are ready to hear it. But as we're already uh, understanding, as there are people that will not only not be open to the truth, but they will get very angry when you voice it to them. You know, there's an aspect that's coming. Uh, I can smell it like I can smell the rain before it gets here uh, that will demonstrate the desperation uh, and the underhandedness of it. And it's already started to be demonstrated by people like the king of rock and roll, Dave Roll, who has apparently informed people you can't come to our concert in New York unless you're fully vaccinated. And this, think back again to the to the book Dune. 
one of the greatest pieces of sci-fi literature ever put together. And if you followed this show, you know why sci-fi exists. Sci-fi invents what comes next. Um, and remember what the first sci-fi was, Frankenstein, taking a dead corpse and reanimating it. Don't ever forget what sci-fi is for. But in that book, the gum job R scene is basically what's going on with all of us now. Are you an animal? Are you existing below your solar plexus? Or are you a human being? And the way this is going to play out, and it's already starting to, is through goods and services. Will you sell your soul? Will you give it all away because you need that plane flight? Because you need to go see Dave Grohl live in concert. Because you need some good or service, some material thing. Um, and there will be the dividing line in that representation. Or are you an animal? Or are you a human being? And I think we're already starting to see this, but Bear, when I start to see it openly, there is the proof in the pudding that is undeniable from my perspective. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, you know, one of the elements that people are very concerned about now with all this is this concept of transmission of um, genetic material from people that have been tainted versus those that choose not to be. And, uh, you know, they call that shedding, of course. Uh, yeah, I did a, an interview not too long ago about this whole thing. And I think it's really up for grabs as far as uh, whether that physical material is the thing that's transmitting uh, from person to person. And that may prove true. But right now, I don't see physical proof of that. So I like to just confine myself to things that I know. And one thing I do know is that the real transmission is happening on those finer, uh, we'll just call it those waveforms, because again, DNA is uh, what we would call uh, in the field of engineering, a dual impedance antenna, you know, it receives and transmits information. And if you look at a strand of DNA, of course, it's just like uh, two strands side by side held together with rungs and you have some twists and turns in there and everything too. But basically it's no different than the, uh, you know, the old style radios in our car where you turn the dial and the, the little thing behind the, the face plate, you know, moves it up and down those uh, two rungs, those two antennas. And then depending where it is, it, you know, brings in on that dual pins antenna, different uh, you know, bandwidth, it allows you to listen to a different station. So our DNA is exactly the same. And of course, when that's modified, we are, uh, you know, dampening our ability to get into those higher bandwidths. And uh, also, uh, we have to consider that there is a, a great push for all this microwave technology for a reason. And uh, this um, new DNA modification, I am more than convinced and see proof of it, that it is pinging more directly with these microwaves, which are toxic vertical uh, short waveforms that are like carrier waves. And then these carrier waves are modified, you know, with their 3G, 4G, 5G, and whatever the heck else they're doing. Uh, with uh, um, waveforms that can modify behavior, modify physiology, and so forth. And we're also seeing, you know, especially in the, the female population, where, um, you know, uh, different menstrual difficulties, miscarriages, and things like that are being transmitted uh, directly to each other, and non uh, tainted people are getting affected by that. 
And I really convinced it's more by way of, you know, the transmission of these uh, waveforms. But then what I like to tell people is that once you understand that, and as far as a real phenomena and how it is spreading bad informational fields to, you know, uh, all sorts of people, is that that also gives you the solution because if we have uh, not deliberately tainted our own DNA, we have the ability within our own consciousness to recalibrate into those higher and higher octaves, we'll say, and uh, become impervious to everything. So I think in all of this is an opportunity for people that have eyes to see that uh, we can use it uh, to become stronger and also to help us achieve why we're here in the first place. You know, the whole shedding thing is a bit vexing because on the face of it, clearly now the fear goes both ways if you're going to accept that. But it's an interesting idea. We all know or we've all been led to accept that if a group of women get together, eventually their menses will sink. So how is that happening? And I think that probably is in direct step with how, how you were just speaking um, but we also know that their kind of sickening propaganda that foreshadowed all this has zombies and zombies infect each other, don't they? So it remains to be seen, but I'm with you all day long on the kind of transmitted level. To me, that's how you get sick. I hadn't been sick in forever. And so all of a sudden, like, I don't know, what was it, Jason? Seven, eight days ago, I got it bad, but I realized I didn't ingest anything. This is not about germs. This is about my resonance, my frequency. And so I can do something about it. And I did. And I felt poorly for one day. Um, I was congested. Even now, I'm still a bit congested, but I felt poorly for one day because I realized I don't have to feel like this. I can go raise my vibrations. I can improve, uh, which I did. I used the sun. I did all kinds of methods to do it. But when we look back at the shedding idea, I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's pretty cleverly put together. Um, Jason, I kind of feel like we're there. Is there anything you want to get in before we wrap up hour one? Yeah, we just got there. And uh, I was curious, you were saying about the spinal fluid being produced by the brain. Is there anything because of modern society that's really mucking with that, do you think, that you might be able to point out that wouldn't have been uh, a problem, say, 100 plus years ago? You know, like fluoride? Yeah, and we could relate it just to purely mechanical reasons as well. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Crow. Fluoride, all these things that create a calcification of tissues that interfere with normal, subtle movements within bodily tissues that not only uh, help the body produce its fluids, but also circulate them. Uh, and then just our lifestyle is incredibly awkward to the body, you know, where we sit mostly and kind of look forward at our devices and it's not conducive to the proper circulation of these fluids, let alone the manufacture of them. So yeah, we could talk a lot about that uh, later on if you care to. And we can also really bring it into more solution base as far as what we can do about it. Let's pick up an hour or two with these ideas. You guys put a bookmark on where we just went and I'll wrap up hour one. All right. Well, that was a very interesting hour one with Dr. Bear Lando and Jason Lindgren. Uh, I hope you will all join us over at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com for hour two. And I would like to wish you all in this kind of insane period of time, a happy, healthy, and higher-minded existence. And truly, 
the way we conduct ourselves uh, in a way that is contagious. Other people can be affected when you do the right thing. The problem right now is a lot of people are doing the wrong thing. So why wouldn't we all who give a damn try to do the right thing out loud? There it is, man. Join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing. Come.